Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. For Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They're taking away my Lord, and they do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I think it's quite interesting when we look at Easter's story, just to consider how Jesus chose to reveal himself following his resurrection. Now, if you think of all that happened leading up to this event, it was quite a busy time, really, wasn't it? It was quite a public time. First it starts with triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Then we have Jesus clearing out the temple. We have the events that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets betrayed by his friends. He gets condemned by the authorities. And finally, there's a very public crucifixion where Jesus is hung up on a hill so all can see him die. You know, the end of Jesus' life was one of betrayal and undeserved brutality. He'd done nothing wrong to expect the punishment that he was given. And I think for that being in his shoes and had risen from the dead, the first thing I would have done was gone back into Jerusalem, kicked down a door and said something like, Hi, Ponte, I'm back! You know, you're in trouble, mate. It'd be very effective, wouldn't it? And the best thing for us, it would be a less disputable way of coming back than the way that Jesus chose to come back. Because if I said that Jesus come back and decided that now is the time to reign, then we wouldn't have these debates going on as to whether 
he was or whether he didn't live or whether he came back or whether he didn't come back would have been seven. And yet, the way that Jesus announced his resurrection actually tells us a lot about the relationship that God has for us with him and the nature of what salvation is. And firstly, I think what it shows us is that God has given us all free will to decide whether we call them or not. When man fell from God's grace, that was a free will decision. Like it or not, no one forced man to go against what God had commanded him to do, did they? It was man's decision that he was going to disobey God and cause the fall. Free will is a reason that God permits bad things to happen because it's a consequence of what happened through Adam. And because of free will, God chooses not to interfere at this time. It's not the time for God to come back in fullness, for Jesus to come back in fullness. And the same free will is a reason that we're not forced into being Christians. It's a reason that Jesus didn't go in and kick down um, Pontius Pilate's throat. Question is, does it seem fair that this picture of a loving God we paint will let people decide to actually turn their back on eternal life? Does that seem a fairness to us? Well, let's think about it this way. Hands up if you would like to hang around with people who have been pressed banged into liking you. What do you think their attitude would be to you? It's like, oh no, I'm not bothered yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go out and play with him. You can get playing with him, he's just so boring. Yeah. You know, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? We choose who we want as our friends. Our friends choose us as their friends. Why would we expect God to be in a <coughs> giving us free will? But though he doesn't force us to be his friends, his grace extends to all through Christ who died on the cross so that we all have the potential to enter into eternal life. Whether we choose to accept the grace, offer it, and actually enter eternal life depends a lot on us. The second thing we learn from the story it's how God actually reveals himself to us. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to have this image of God sitting on a cloud. And every so often, you'd look at someone and just throw down a thunderbolt, you know, or when he wasn't doing that, he'd sit there and play his harp or whatever, you know, just typical sort of images that we have of God and we've got no idea who he is, isn't it? But when God started coming into my life, he never screamed at me. He never wrote on a wall for me to read or anything like that. What happened was, little things started happening in my life that started noticing and realizing that there was just too many coincidences happening for them to be coincidences that was almost like there was a pattern. God came in a subtle way. 
And in 1 Kings, we get an example of this, when Elijah was hiding out in a cave. 1 Kings 19.11, God says this to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind went toward the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God came in the whisper. You know, I used to love Greek mythology and the idea that the gods would interfere with people's lives in the way that they did in Greek mythology. You know, send any earthquakes or floods or whatever. That, those sort of active gods sound great, don't they? But we have a God who doesn't need to do that to get our attention. We've got a God who wants to get intimate. And it's very hard to get intimate with someone if you're constantly screaming and shouting to get their attention. God wants a relationship with us. And that's why when God talks to us, people will describe it as a still, small voice. He'll also use situations to communicate, or other people to communicate with us. But often, we don't recognize it because we have distractions in our lives. You know, we're starting to get to the stage in society but unless God tweets us or posts us, posts on our wall, then he stands a little chance of getting our attention. Because as technology starts to replace real social networking, then God's limited. You know what I think? It's a shame. How many distractions do we have in our lives? What keeps us from listening to God? The third thing we learn and how Jesus revealed himself is that he reveals himself to those who seek him. The women went to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' body there. You know, they were expecting, they were going to go and there would be some, something physical there that they could see and touch. It would have been easy for Jesus to just start sat up and waited for him coming, wouldn't it? It would have been easy for him to wait until all his followers had gathered together and just make a grand appearance to them. But instead, he revealed himself to those who saw him. In Matthew 7, we're taught, asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Ask, and it will be given. I don't know about down here, but certainly in Scotland we have this phrase that if you never ask, you never get. It's a true saying, isn't it? You know, we don't have, we don't have a gift of mind reading. Although as a father it would be really useful that one. <laughs> As a husband, it would be really useful. <laughs> Seek, and you will find. 
knock and the door will be opened to you. There's an activity in this, isn't there? There's a part for us, a role that we play, and that we've actually got to go out and look. In Revelation 3.20 we're told, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. That's Jesus speaking. He's standing at our door, knocking, wanting us to let him in. Again, there's an action there for us, isn't there? We've got to open the door. There's no use me coming round to your house and knocking on your door if I'm just going to be there for half an hour and you're not going to let me in. But we do that with Jesus. God wants to be a part of our life. God wants us to be friends with Him. God wants the best that we can be. But He wants to give us the best that He can be. The question is, how much effort are we willing to put into it? Because the truth about God is if you're looking for a God who sits on a cloud fire lightning at people or messing about with people's lives just as playthings, then you're never going to find it. If you think Christianity is just one way to God, then you're never going to find it. Because in Romans 4.12, we're told that there's no other name under heaven or earth by which man can be saved than the name of Jesus. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. It could be that you come here today and you don't actually know if there is a God or not. Or maybe you're an atheist. That will bring problems with that sort of thinking because I had a debate with Richard Dawkins on radio a few weeks back where he was asked um, how does science explain stuff like man's love of the arts about man's spiritual side, about why man thinks abstractly, why does man love music, why does man write music, never mind loving it, why does man even have imagination? You know, none of these things are a real benefit in the evolutionary process. There must be something more to man than just and evolving to make us top of the pile. And he had to concede that science has no answer to the above. But there is a place we can start getting answers to. The Bible can give us an answer. Because the Bible was never intended as a science book. It's rather like the Haynes Manual to man's soul. You want to fix your soul, you pick up the Bible. You want to know about quantum physics, you go to the library and you get a book out on quantum physics. So here's a challenge for you today. Consider what your impression of God is and ask yourself, what are you looking for in God? What's the sort of God that you're expecting to meet with? Are you looking for a God 
to control your life? Or are you looking for a God that wants a relationship with you? Are you looking for a God that fires lightning at you when you do wrong? Are you looking for a God that takes you under his wing and pats on the head and says, come on, you made a mistake now, let's move on from it. Who are you seeking? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.